Hi everyone and welcome back to Reload Podcast. Happy New Year. Uh, my name's Lee Maxwell and as always I'm joined by... Connor McCann. Nigel Lamont. Uh, Nigel's back on the phone again after our drunken antics of the last episode. We've been banned from Cumber, banned from travelling. Oh no, wait. Yes. Maybe that's just COVID. <laughs> Can't go anywhere. <laughs> I think you're banned from Cumber too. Probably uh, are. Yeah. <laughs> well, Connor's probably fine. <laughs> <laughs> So this is episode 27, first new episode of 2021. Let's hope it's uh, a little bit better than 2020, but at this point, who knows? No, well, sure. We have plenty of plans and we'll see what we can do with it. I read a, an article on Motor Trend the other day and it was, uh, if 2020 was a car, what car would it be? <laughs> and there was lots of excellent responses like a AMC Gremlin and a... Pontiac Fiero and more European. I would definitely be going with the uh, Fiat Multipla. The Fiat Multipla, oh, my old favorite. Sure. <laughs> Good choice. Good I was choice. thinking more like a felt spec Zara with. A <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's kind of reeky and polluty. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I, I I was thinking more Austin Allegro. Yes, I uh, yeah, that wouldn't be the greatest of cars either. For our younger <laughs> listeners, they sucked. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I think we've got a good episode lined up, hopefully for today. We'll do our usual news and YouTube at the start. Nigel has a topic for us and uh, finish off with our listeners' comments and questions. So, Connor, what's new with you? Well, the ongoing saga with the Bora, it's a uh, it's positive this time rather than a negative. And I finally have Yay. an exhaust. Woohoo! So, well done. Yep. I think from we started this podcast, the exhaust hasn't been great on it, and it has continually got worse. And I finally bit the bullet. I hate, it's not that I hate spending money on it as such, I kind of feel guilty spending money on it because it's the daily driver, and kind of takes away from our projects, and then the exhaust pretty much gave up, what, lay about eight months ago? At least. Yeah, and I tried and to avoid it. He hasn't complained about it at all. No, I haven't In those it. eight months. And it was horrendous. And it turned out it actually broke right around the flange of the cat. And it was so drony and boomy. It was awful. Like, And then I got myself a system off a guy, Lucifer, on the R32 Owners Club. He makes his own systems brand new. And, of course, it doesn't fit the Bora because it's too long compared to the Golf. So Lu- our- Lu- Lucifer's been on the scene for a brave while, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, I think basically he appeared around the time, or his systems appeared around the time that Miltech were given bother with welds breaking. So yeah. he replicated the system with better components and has been selling them for about seven or eight years now and has no issue with them. That was a big selling point for me with them. So I had it sitting and was struggling to get anyone locally to fit it and make the modifications to it it needed extended the two tips i mentioned before on the bracket chains and listener fogel o'reilly he reached out and he says i can sort that for you over christmas so dropped it up to him made it happen he extended one of the tips the right hand side was it changed to a turn down to hide in behind the bumper and he modified the bracket on the car as opposed to the hanger and it looks and sounds awesome yeah it really does um, it's like a it's like Christmas miracle. It is isn't Fogel, <laughs> Fogel, Fogel Santa Claus. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's totally changed the car. Apart from the fact that yes, the exhaust was broken half, but even from when it worked before, when I first got it, it's a totally different sound. Um, it sounds more like an R thirty two now as opposed to like a deep grumble that the like the sort of the V six would give. 
Yeah, you sent me the video across there and just sounds terrific now, so it does really good. Yeah, anyone who follows me on social media, I posted it this afternoon and I know it just sounds so good and the beauty of it is it's super quiet inside. It just sounds brilliant. You can be driving along. I think at full chat, when it's at loudest, it's no louder than the heater controls on full blast and cruising around like you don't even have to raise your voice, so I can't fault it at all. Perfect, perfect levels in. Exactly, yeah. That's one thing I was really worried about going for like a custom system was that it would just be loud and boomy and just drone all the time and thankfully it hasn't. Lee and I were actually out with a recording gear today and having a bit of fun with the new exhaust and hear some of the sounds from it. Yeah, I was driving fop, for fop, some fop, of those. Fop, 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 fop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was driving for some of those. So if you can hear some dodgy gear changes, just please remember I haven't driven a manual for quite some time. Yeah, it's been a while for Lee. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. So as you can hear, it sounds a lot better than it did before. Yeah, yeah absolutely. M- many, many improvements were made. Yep, I am so happy with it. So yeah. Excellent. The, the wookie the wookie roars again. It does indeed, and it doesn't sound like it's farting through a wet face cloth. <laughs> it was so bad before. <laughs> That's what they sound like after a few curries. Exactly. That's what it was like. <laughs> the neighbours will be much happier, I'd say. Yeah, someone said to me, Your neighbours will love you with this new exhaust thing and it was going to be really loud. And I was like, No, the neighbours will love me because it's going to be a lot quieter. <laughs> it was like driving a stock car before. And I, the other thing is, I've been taking advantage of this cold, frosty, snowy weather and the four wheel drive in the Bora and checking, make sure everything works and it does. <laughs> This time last year, I had a Gulf War motion. That's right, yeah. You bought it for the snow and probably didn't get any snow. Not a bit. No, it's for the two or three times a year where it is slippy enough to actually use the four motion system. It's fun. Lee had it out together and she enjoyed it. I did. <laughs> I hope the traction control was firmly off. Do you know what? The soft touch, um, like that soft touch finish they use in the Mark IV plastics, it always wears off. The Bora has next to no wear on it which is really incredible considering those things wear all the time the only place it has wear is in the traction control button so i say <laughs> i've ever had it before me <laughs> it's uh i'm not the first abuser of it i'll say <laughs> right what about you lee what's new well i took the superb for mot last night How and did that go? it passed yay <laughs> thank god for a what a four-year-old car yeah i know that would have been extremely annoying of course about two hours before um connor phoned me he had taken the car out and he phoned me when i was at home to say uh what number plates have you got on this and i was like oh shit metro plates (laughs) (laughs) so it was a quick dash to halfords two hours before mot to get some legal number plates and robbed and robbed fucking halfords what did the charge for legal plates in halfords 30 quid, 30 something quid. <sighs> yes. That's about three times the price of my local motor factors. Yeah. yeah, well, but, but at, here. F- at four o'clock on a Saturday yep. afternoon, yep. what are you going to do? <laughs> exactly. You could have had a set of 4D number plates for that price. I could. I'd have had a they would have been you. equally as illegal. <laughs> I do love my metros, though. So Yeah, they're okay. That's the price you pay, I suppose. <laughs> Anything with you, Nigel? What's happening? Absolutely deadly. 
Quiet Christmas. <laughs> Quiet Christmas. Some wine drunk, some beer drunk. Not a lot done with cars. And uh, yeah, just I've been working and just it's the last thing I want to do is lie underneath a car at the moment, to be honest with you. Nah, fair enough. Did yeah, you, to be so fair, like the same. All we've done yeah. is eat ourselves into oblivion and build a load of Lego. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a period of three or four days where I wasn't at work and you were just going, what time should I start having a drink? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I lost track of what day it was even. Yeah. Or what, what ridiculous amount of food I'm going to eat today. Did you build any Lego when you were off? Uh, what to do, what to do. Uh, at a wee sort of kit uh, camper van it's not lego it was like a wee build your own camper van windy up thing so uh-huh. i built it that's all i got i didn't get anything really correlated apart from that disgraceful so I, I got a limited edition uh matchbox mark one um golf gta oh, very matchbox nice toy collector's edition one so that's what i got correlated do you take it out of the box nope no oh, get nope. it out <laughs> i watch toy story <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Um, just before we move on to our news then, I want to give a shout out to two of the listeners. Um, Ronan is a, a constant uh, contributor. Ronan underscore hits 21. And him and Robert Abarthnot both got engaged over Christmas there. Yay, congratulations. So two good men, Dan. <coughs> yeah, hard, hard luck, lads. That's it. And in more important <laughs> news, Ronan got his car back on the road. Yeah. Yeah, right enough. Exactly. So I was glad to see that back out. Um, it's been a long, hard-fought battle with that thing, but it's finally out. It hasn't been that long. Okay, it's been eight months, and everything he's done to it has turned to shit for him, unfortunately. So he's. Yeah. But I'm looking at some of our long-term projects, so that, that's not long in the grand scheme. Yeah, but the difference is he's been working on his. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so... D- d- also, another shout out to Andy from uh, Andy Nyblock from New Look Wheels. He actually PM'd me after I shared pictures of my recently refurbished RC alloys. That's right. Um, he was just chatting about those wheels and the way that they came um, factory burnished finish. And so they start to pit quite badly over the years. And any light colours will show up any perfections. He's a man that's been doing wheel refurbishments for 20 years. So. It was nice of him to reach out and sort of chat about the wheels and stuff like that there. So, um, and he was just saying how much he was enjoying the podcast. So, cheers for getting in touch, Andy. Cheers. Yeah, it's nice when somebody like that, as you say, it has the experience of it, can give you a bit of a heads up on what what's going yeah. wrong or what's happening with it. Yeah. Just while we're on yeah, the topic of uh, listener shout outs, um, Ali DFR, Alistair, who we talked yeah. to at the docks the day we, we did the food drive. That's right, yeah. Uh, I noticed on Facebook the other day he's put the Vectra up for sale oh. and I was wondering was it because he was embarrassed when he turned up to the docks and he was the only one not in a Volkswagen <laughs> <laughs> I jest no. I jest Alistair <laughs> you know I he's like getting... Vauxhalls as well <laughs> yeah he's uh, Alistair's Vauxhall through and through so he is yeah he did say that that it wouldn't he wouldn't deviate from it now <laughs> in fairness I think if... it's a cool Vectra yeah yeah, I mean, he turned up. I didn't expect it. I didn't realize that his was actually the VXR because there's not a whole lot of those around. Real sleeper. Yeah, no, they're cool. So we'll move on to the non-us news. The news news? The news news. <laughs> what's, news. what's new with you? Do you want to kick us off? Yeah, dead on. Um, the first one I have then is a company called Wheel Pros have bought TSW. So TSW, a lot of you will probably know the brand. Uh, started off as Tiger Sport Wheels, which was a new one to me. 
was founded in the 60s by a South African F1 driver. They were huge in the 90s, huge in the 2000s. Nigel, you probably would know a whole lot about TSW. TSW stealths were the big thing in the mid-90s. Like, yep. if, you had a, if you had a set of TSW stealths and then they dropped new wheels every six months to a year and the new drop of design of wheels. Because before that, all you had was Revolution wheels or Compomotive or maybe Speedline, but they they were ridiculous money and they only came in certain sizes. TSW brought a wheel to the modified market and it was just... It just changed the whole game, I think. Yeah, when 16s would have been a big wheel, that's what they were involved in. Yeah. Like the Venoms, who could forget the TSW Venom? Venoms, Hockenheims as well was another nice one, the crossbooks. Oh, yep, that's right, that's right, yeah. Um, a lot of that stuff's making a big comeback as well. Um, yep. So they've just been bought over by Wheel Pros, and Wheel Pros were uh, recently bought over there two years ago as well by another brand. So they're basically a consortium who own a huge amount of wheel companies. And if you haven't heard of them, you've probably heard of one of the 22 brands that they actually do own. They own Rotoform, American Racing, Asante, Dub, Foos Wheels. They're just this huge conglomerate. Um, American American Racing Wheels is a massive company. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was actually a... I was looking them up, and there was actually a fact that said they have um, wheel pros themselves now within all those brands have 15,000 different product numbers. That's how many wheels they have. That's fucking insane. Like, So if you're buying wheels, you're probably buying them off them. And just uh, as a side note, anybody that goes to the player shows, um, one of the organisers, Jay, he uh, is now in charge of European distribution. He's setting up the warehouse um, in England. I don't know if you've been following him, Connor, or not. No, No, is that for wheel pros itself? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's crazy. They're just such a huge company, but you would never have heard of them, or I certainly hadn't before until they started buying up these brands. But you'll find out with big retail too, like, you know, one massive company owns these all smaller companies, which are big in our eyes, but it's a consortium that owns them all, it turns out, you know. Yeah, it's like the people who run the world, really. Yeah. Behind all the, the world the, leaders. The, the Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> the Illuminati of the wheel world. The only news I really had this week, or I think it actually happened last week, the announcement that Lewis Hamilton is going to receive a knighthood for his... For services to driving the fastest car in Formula One. Yeah, you. pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be terrible if the Queen slipped with that sword. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen a meme like that. It probably is. So, Sir Lewis of Hamilton. That's a strange one. I yeah. suppose it's just doing so well in a particular sport or field it's, that you work yeah. in, isn't it? And then I would say it's, like most things, there's a lot to do with uh, the, the money that's involved in that level, the big companies. And then, I don't want to say it's the race card, but boxes have to be ticked in certain things as well. Like, ah, fair you know. enough, yeah. I suppose it's whatever's hot at the moment. Yeah. What does yeah. a knighthood actually allow you to do, if anything? Because I, I th- remember... I think you, I think a knighthood, you can have slaves. You can have slaves? <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> be great. I stand to be corrected, but that's what I think anyway. I think my boss has been knighted before. <laughs> um, you might actually listen to this, I'm not sure. No, because I remember when... And, and I, I think there's OB, MB, and then above that's a knighthood. Okay. So what what has he got? Is he knighted? Yeah. Yeah, he's knighted. Because I think he was already made an OB or an MB a couple of years ago. Okay. I might be wrong. No, always am. I remember <laughs> um, Liam Neeson was given the keys to Balamina City. Uh, the Freedom of the City. The Freedom of the City, which actually, when you look into the small print, allows him to herd sheep. Anytime he wants through the middle of Balamina. 
Which is some Here. strange bylaw. I want a piece of that action. Yep. You can take your sheep wherever <laughs> you want through Balamina. <laughs> Robin will be delighted. So, no, I was just wondering if you get knighted, is there some weird bylaw like that that you're allowed to do certain things? I don't really I know. Say I would say if you look at the small print, there's some sick, demented thing you're be able, you're allowed to do. Probably execute people <laughs> in the name of the crown. Yeah. I mean, there's other other Formula One folk, you know, Sir Sterling Moss. Well, that's being right. One. Yeah. I think Frank Williams is a sir. I can't confirm that one, but yeah. I'll you know, there's there are other. It, I think the only thing that seems strange to me, like I'm not. Everyone knows that I'm not a huge Formula One person. Um. But there's, I mean, there's no denying his achievements are impressive, especially at such a young age. But that I think that's the thing that I find weird is that how young he is. You think of like sirs and you know dames, that, but they're all older people. Yeah. As a general rule, and it just seems very weird. What is he mid thirties? Yeah. And then Nigel, you were saying that uh, somebody else you thought should have been up for it but didn't get it was Johnny Ray. Yeah, he has six or seven titles. Um. Like, he's the motorbike racer. He's, he's, yeah. six yeah. titles. He's six titles, sorry. Aye, Johnny um, Ray is a... He's from here. He is, yeah. yeah. Northern Ireland bike rider. But then, you know yourself, he's from here. It's like the... You're beat. out of the running automatically. What do you call it, that? It does, it, it does boil down a popularity contest. The Sports Personality of the Year's popularity con- uh, contest and... Because he wasn't even picked. nominated for it, was he? Yeah, that that's the big controversy every year, is when that comes up, he never gets anything for it. Yeah. Not even in the running. No. But I think that's a thing now. Every year, because there is sporting success out in Northern Ireland, it's like an annual comp- competition of moaning. Here, why did he not get? Yeah. You know? Um, but it goes back to uh, that thing, that argument we had a few episodes ago of the chap who was on from, was it Kirkston or Bishop's Yeah, Sport? Donald. Um, yeah. But, you know, what's classed as an elite sport? You know, what's... And the Queen although I'm quite sure doesn't sit down to watch the Formula One every Sunday, she probably doesn't hasn't even heard of Johnny Ray. Ah, uh, yeah, Never mind. Enough. Do you know what I mean? Probably not. Or, uh, you know, the, the folk in the palace who make these decisions, I guess. We'll complain anyway, though. Yeah. We always do. Why not? Why not? What about you, Nigel? Any news? Um, a small bit of news was uh, Richard Rawlings from the famous Discovery show, um, Fast and Loud was on Joe Rogan's podcast and dropped in the conversation that he was parting ways with Discovery Channel. So that seems to be the end of Fast and Loud. It's um, no more. I watched it from the first series and I haven't. I probably haven't seen the last five series because I got rid of Sky. But uh, it was very enjoyable in the early days when they had humble beginnings and then they got bigger um, and just went different direction though. But... Uh, he he just said on the podcast that it was the end of the road. He was parting his way with Discovery. He said it's not the end, just to begin a new chapter. Uh, where do you see what I've got planned next? Um, don't think he's too bothered. I think he sort of realised it too that after sixteen seasons, you know, all the good things must come to an end. But he'll not be too worried because he's got a net worth of about forty or fifty million. Yeah, it's kind of so, ran its course. Yeah, he probably yeah. he probably made all his money that time that uh, Andy Maxwell headed over and drank in his bar. Yes, that would probably be it, yeah. I would say that floated Andy. him for a good 10 years. Yeah, because I think Andy was very ill that day or something, wasn't he? Yeah, he got a wee bug day. after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As my, as my daughter used to say after I was out for a drink the night before, oh, daddy's got the beer bug. The beer bug. The wine flu. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that one before. 
Um, yeah, I remember watching Fast and Loud when I was younger and when it first came out. And similar to yourselves, we got rid of Sky about three years ago. And I, it was a good show, but I don't really miss it, kind of, because it had run its course. And when Aaron left, the interaction that he had with the show and talking you through what they were doing and the fabrication side of it was really interesting to me. So once that went out of it, it wasn't yeah. sort of took the shine off it. It, uh, I think it sort of went the same way. And Discovery have a record of this here. Like, if you look, go back to the early days of Mike Brewer, there was more technical stuff. Then the American company bought over Wheeler Dealers, and then they wanted more of you know the personal sort of stuff or the sort of chit chat and the scripted the stuff. So the it dumbed didn't it down. Feel as technical. Yeah, they dumbed it down basically. Yeah. No, that's yeah. again with Wheeler Dealers. I hate Mike Brewer. I fucking despise that man yep but ed was great and again somebody put somebody somebody, i think it was do you follow adrian may on instagram the fellow from essex i do yeah he put a meme up today it was mike brewer standing in front of the picture of the 928 or 944 okay the done with that came on bbs's oh yes I, i didn't see that meme but i know what you're alluding to but he basically says if ever you need a reason for not to watch Mike Brewer, he bought this Porsche for £1,600 and replaced the BBS split rims for a set of cookie cutters. Yep. Oh, yeah. He <laughs> wanted the original and just dumped the, the BBSs, yeah. essentially. What a stupid cunt. Like, that's a man that's meant to know the motor trade. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, he should have his finger on that. No, when they'd done away with that, and then Ed parted ways as well, it... It really did just sort of dumb it down, as you say, when the Americans took over and it just became more about Mike and the interaction with people as opposed to about the cars. Which yeah, well, is, that's yeah. when I used to watch it. I used to watch Ed's bits and then when Mike came on at the end to sell it, I just switched over to the other channel. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, no thanks, I'm out. I would have paid extra money for Ed when Mike said something stupid just to turn around and go, shut up, you absolute arse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do not know anything, you belly end. I remember when Aaron left Fast and Loud as well, he had said a few things about that his it really hadn't went his way for the style of things that we're doing. So not even so much in the car styling, but like his fabricating and doing things properly. And it was just basically you have three weeks to build a car that should take three months and kick it together and panic all the time about it. Yeah, it's a classic case of a man who takes pride in his work just cracking up because it's not being done right. Exactly, yeah. And, and I, th- I, th- I think if you go even further back, American Hot Rod with Boyd Collington, Charlie the Painter, he he was backing into that corner and he left and went to uh, Fish, or what do you call yeah. it? Yeah, it no, I was going to say that. American Hot Rod, American Chopper. American Chopper was the same. All those Discovery shows, they, it all has to be about the drama and the... Even, like, take the classic example, Top Gear. Top yeah. Gear used to be a show about cars. And... For the last 10 years, it hasn't been. It's about the, in inverted commas, personalities, which I don't really give a fuck about. Yeah. And the fucking wrecking and the setups and the, oh, isn't it so funny? Oh, we've wrecked this caravan. Oh, we've rolled this Vauxhall Nova, which I could have stabbed them in the eye socket. Yeah. But but, but there was a a point in Top Gear series where there was a happy medium and then they just went overboard with a scripted crap. Yeah. No, there was. And that that was the, the pinnacle of Top Gear. Yeah, especially for us, like you're talking maybe, what, 10, 12 years ago with that? And it's like, yeah, yeah, you can have a laugh and have a bit of crack and all, and that makes the show even more entertaining, which is great. But it then it went past that point, past the point of no return, I think. It just gets hard to watch at that point. But what you'll find is probably 
the ratings probably went up. Because if they if they went in that direction, it's probably because the ratings were going up. So. Oh yeah, your average person starts to watch yeah. it. It was when my they're mom bringing, started to watch Top bring, Gear. Yeah, they're bringing a wider audience in. Just yeah. When your mum started to watch it, you were like, this is when it's time for me to not watch it anymore. I'm getting off the train here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just to finish up then, we predicted it. And recently there was a bit of a boom in Bitcoin, but it was nothing compared to the boom in the IS200 market. Vomit. I think a lot of listeners to our podcast, suddenly the word went out, IS200s. Well, I, I had a cousin who bought one out of England for, I want to say £1,600. And I think he took three and a half grand for it about two months later. Not so bad. Yeah, that's a nice profit. Um, and I'm pretty sure all he done was cut the hell out of it, run a yard in those two months as well. That's good. <laughs> and that seems to be what's happening. The It was on John 44, the local Facebook sales page, essentially, for those. And last year, there was cars making sort of 1500 to two grand. And now they're up for anywhere between three and five, which is... Mental, considering the abuse that those cars get. Hey, toot toot, all above the JDM hype train. That's it. It happened to the Volkswagens. <laughs> it's happening to you guys now. <laughs> and it's it's probably it's driven by lack of uh, supply, the American import stuff. You know, it's all driving towards it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's the other thing you're getting to is because those cars are essentially just used and abused, they're getting thin in the ground, especially good ones. So when you do get a good one someone's looking big money for it and then the guy down the road with one with the back arches hanging out of it and it's been hit off a tree he says well that got five grand mine must be worth five grand and then suddenly they all rise like if you think back the donegal rally king of the cone i would say hundreds of is200s got killed at that king of the cone over the years oh yeah and you're talking like what 700 pound a car at that stage Uh. i did see somebody advertising uh it was a crumpled up window tint and I think it was. I think he had like maybe two grand on it, and he says genuine window tint from an IS two hundred. <laughs> I think the memes were rife this week in John forty four. Yeah, anybody trying to sell a car there this week was just not having a good time. Yeah. Oh dear. So we did call it, and it has happened. We're like profits. We are not like lost profits. We're not that bad. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not go down that road. We're not going down that road at all. <laughs> oh dear. So. Um, I would just like to move on then, just a sort of breakdown of what happened in 2020 in motorsport, if that's all right. Yeah, go for it. So it's just a list of who done what in motorsport, both on two wheels and four wheels. So starting off in bikes then, MotoGP, Juan Mir, Spanish driver, won the MotoGP in a Suzuki. Ducati took home the Constructor Championship. British GP was Josh Brooks, New Zealand rider on a Ducati. Superbike was, of course, Mr. Jonathan Ray in a Kawasaki. That's his six titles. Constructor Championship went to Kawasaki. Cars, aforementioned Sir Lewis Hamilton. Copyright. Oh, yeah, signs it. <laughs> and a Mercedes. Uh, but a, a glimmer of hope this year in the F1 was George Russell's debut. It was good to see. He look, looks very promising. Also, on a side note, in F2, Mick Schumacher, you might know his dad. Um, the he's other done Mick. rather well. He's done rather well in the F2 this year. Um, WRC, Sebastian Auger in a Toyota. He won the WRC title, so he's now a seven-time champion. He is second after Sebastian Lode, who has nine titles under his belt. So I don't think it'll be too long before he'll be the WRC best. Moving across the pond then to NASCAR, T.S. Elliott is this year's champion in the Chevrolet Camaro. Uh, BTCC, I think we mentioned about this, uh, 
probably in this November, December time. Ashley Sutton in an affinity with Laser Tools Racing. He won the BTC title. That's his second title. He won also in 2017. But as I said, Colin Turkin missed out um, in the last two races of the season. DTM then, Germany. Rene Rast um, won the DTM series this year in ABT Sportsline. So just a quick wee summary of 2020 in motorsport on two on four wheels there. Who, who was the first guy you mentioned? Uh, for what motorsport? I, I think it was the very first the motorsport. Guy, the bike the Spanish guy. guy. Juan Mir. Can he see okay? <laughs> Do you think he should have two mirrors? He should have two mirrors, I would have thought, yeah. <laughs> oh, I I thought like one more. <laughs> one more. <laughs> <laughs> one more time. One, one more. more time. <laughs> one for the road. <laughs> he, he, he'd be good at Kelly's. One more tune. One <laughs> more tune. <laughs> You'd never get him out. <laughs> we'll move on oh, to YouTube you then. Yeah, yeah. Yelling um, for us. Just one. Uh, it's a channel that I knew existed, but his earlier stuff, he, he hasn't a lot of videos on it. It's basically Stanceworks. Um, a few of you'll know Stanceworks. It's basically a company in California, Connor, isn't it? Yeah, they're based in California, do custom car and race car building. And it's headed by the founder, Mike Burroughs. They've been there since 2009 and they've always been sort of custom builds with extreme stance and extreme builds. Um, the two most famous ones would probably be the BMW Rusty Slamington. That's right, yeah. That was Mike's own car. It was crazy, that thing. And the Model A project as well. Yeah, he actually, I think he'd done two Model A's or maybe a Model T as well. Um, one yeah. he built with a BMW engine and then one with a new Ford engine. His, uh, it, was, it came up on my um, subscriber list because I say they don't put a lot of uh, videos up but it just popped up and he had I've bought a uh, a Ferrari and it was a yellow 308 GTB. So that's a 75 to 1985 sort of era of car. Yeah, it's a 2.9 V8 aluminium block, low 200s brake horsepower. Um, so his plan is to get it, stance it. He's replacing the engine. So Tell me it's, it's a VR6 turbo. <laughs> I would say it's going to be America. I would say so, yeah. It'll be screaming eagles. It's four videos of it. The first one's an intro. The second one's Dino and Wayne the car. It's ridiculously heavy. The engine's ridiculously heavy. And the second two videos so far are him pulling the engine out of it. Um, they're very, very detailed and he likes to talk a lot. But I quite enjoy it. It's quite technical and informative. So uh, it be interesting to watch that series over the next while because he's he doesn't do things by halves, put it that way. No. And it'll be interesting to see them incorporate like modern technology and materials into a car like that, as you say, if it is running heavy. But he pulled the engine out and he basically said this engine's worth ten grand and he showed eBay links of what they're making. So that's that's a good way towards a, a nice engine he can put on it anyway. Yeah, you, you see some of them create motors that they were using in the likes of Fast and Loud and they weren't anywhere near ten grand and they'll be a lot yeah. quicker than what that thing is. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first one I have then is from Dutch Auto Parts and they're an American parts company. The guys they're all sort of heavily Volkswagen influenced, have been in the car scene for years and they had built a 500 horsepower Mark V GTI which obviously was front wheel drive and they're now converting it to rear wheel drive using OEM parts which is pretty cool. The first episode I watched there they have out is them stripping a donor R32 and then stripping the race car Mark V and basically swapping the back ends over but it's incredible like everything bolts up you can basically four-wheel drive swap a mark 5 gti using r32 stuff and there's no custom well little custom fabrication to physically get everything to fit 
That's cool. <laughs> so they're swapping over tanks. Um, I can hear the cogs turning in Nigel's head from here. <laughs> <laughs> Traction problems on the edition 30. Yeah, yeah. So, no, it's, uh, it's an interesting series. And what I liked about it too is that they're not actually using their own shop. They're working off the floor, so they're not taking up any of the ramp space. And it's it's interesting to watch guys who use ramps all the time work on their back on axle stands and sort of overcome problems that aren't normally problems for them. Tighten them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That'll be me, hopefully, this time next year. But like, oh, I can't get on the ground anymore. Have this ramp. <laughs> the other one I have then is from Papadakis Racing. Have you seen them, Nigel? Yes, they were one of the first to pull apart a Supra engine, weren't they? Yes, so they have the 2020 GR Supra as a drift car. And at this stage now, what they're doing was 3D printing a turbo manifold. So this this uh, tickled my pickles, shall we say. <laughs> and <laughs> the, You don't like pickles? I don't, but it's tickled anyway. Um, so they 3D scanned the whole engine bay, the underside of the bonnet, and around the block. And then that gave them a 3D model to work around and then modeled the actual turbo manifold on the likes of, say, SolidWorks and then printed it in plastic to begin with, mocked everything up on the car with the turbo and then they had it 3D printed in Inconel. So the way it works is it shows you the workings of it, but it's like it uses lasers and like powdered Inconel and it dusts the Inconel in and then the laser melts it together and then over the space of like a day, a day and a half, it suddenly produces this turbo manifold. Wow. So you could have welded it up for them, Lee. You done a bit of Inconel work, didn't you? I did. Back in the day. Back in the TIG days. Mm. Really, really interesting setup. The other thing I noticed about it too was when you take, usually when you take like a turbo or even a ex- normal exhaust manifold off, it'd be held on with studs, would you say? Mm-hmm. Well, this was, as a totally different setup I've seen. There's like a groove, like a V groove in the bottom of the, like in the head below the p- exhaust ports. And the manifold slots down into it. Right. And then at the top, there's like a runner that just bolts and clamps the whole lot together. So as you tighten the bolts at the top, it forces it down into the V and creates a seal. Oh, that's quite it's clever. clever. So the, the advantage of it is... You don't need a gasket? I'm not sure. There probably is a gasket for it, but the big advantage is you're not having to try and get underneath the manifold mm. to undo the bolts, which is usually where you risk ringing something. Yeah. Or snapping it is usually what happens. So, no, it's pretty cool. But if you're into like 3D I, I, printing... Check it out. Cool stuff. What were you going to say, Nigel? I, just when you talk about manifold uh, bolts snapping, all I could think of was rusty old Mark II at valve manifold bolts. Oh my God, <laughs> those things are horrible. And they're so small, that's the problem. Yep. Yeah. M8s, it's rust. Bad times. 20 year old. Yeah, they're, it's all the makings of a fun day. Another favourite nut that I like to swear at is the uh, stub axle hub nuts on a Mark II. Oh my God, yeah. I had the same on the Mark III. It's the same setup. What's I'm the one on the Mark III? I wonder how many people have peeled themselves in a screwdriver trying to take it. <laughs> oh, they're a pain in the ass. I think what I had to take, there's four per side, and I think when I took them off, I had to drill out five of them. Three on one yeah. side, two on the other. Just pure dung. What's the one on the Mark III that's in the wee cage? It's like a wee captive nut. Is it a Mark III? Yeah. Or is you, it your polo? You want to the one on the sassy leg? Yes. Yeah, Mark III has those oh, too. Oh, God. Oh, it's a fun one. Taking the subframe out, Nigel, has that rung on you before? No. There's, so, <laughs> basically, the way it works is there's a there's like a captive nut inside the chassis leg that's held by like a wee steel cage. And over time, water gets in and rots the cage away. So, when you go to undo the bolt for the subframe, you slack it off. It slacks slightly. But then the nut inside starts to spin and it won't come off. And then you can't do it back up again because it just spins the other way so you're left with like a loose subframe 
But I always found a quick solution to that is pour petrol over the whole car and light it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or weld two <laughs> handles on it and fuck it in a skip. <laughs> yeah, that's a horrible day. That happened to me in the polo and it just was not fun. Okay, I'd like to take a second to talk about our sponsor, Reload Global. Reload Global are an enthusiast-owned company providing you with not only premium automotive apparel, but accessories such as garage banners, posters, stickers and air fresheners. They're Northern Ireland-based, are an official stockist for 8380 Labs in the UK and Europe. And this month we have a sale on. So, if you want a avail of 20% discount, enter the code NW. YR2021, so New Year 2021, abbreviated to NWYR2021 in the uh, discount code section when you're checking out. That'll get you 20% off the entire store. So go check it out. They help us to make this happen. So give it a visit. So Nigel has the main topic for us today. I believe he's going to school us on the legend that is Mr. Eddie Irvine. So Nigel, take it away, please. Yeah, so I'm going to chat sort of briefly here about Eddie Irvine. So um, I think somebody suggested it when we sort of were chatting about what do you want to hear about, you know, local uh, race car drivers, stuff like that there. So for me, Eddie Irvine, because he sort of lived less than 10 miles from where I lived back in the day when I was younger, like he was a big, big deal in uh, the local area and Northern Ireland, if not Ireland. I remember as a teenager, like he was sometimes seen driving about in a Ferrari in the 90s, you know, and in County Down Northern Ireland, you never seen a Ferrari back then, so it was a big deal. Um, You're more likely to see a police Land Rover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there, there's several reasons why, you know, I'm bringing up this sort of topic, but one was, you know, listeners wanted to hear about local stuff and all the rest of it. He was your non-typical motorsports guy, not like modern race car drivers. A lot of them now are very pc you know, robots almost. For me, I seen him as like a James Hunt, sort of George Best, Colin McRae type guy, you know, all or nothing. You never knew what you, what you were going to get sort of guy. You're playing uh, by his rules. Yeah. There's another two reasons too, because <laughs> of late I discovered that there's a shipping company next to my office called Jenkins Shipping. And in my research for this, I found out that he actually owns it. So uh, there's one of the pots he's into. Finger many pies, as I say. Yeah, so he's not too too badly with that wee company because he managed to pay himself four point five million in two thousand eighteen dividends. So I don't think he's going to run out of money anytime soon, Connor. I wonder if <laughs> he need an assistant. <laughs> PA, perhaps. Just, they they built a big massive office beside the stem and terminals. So if you're driving down to the boat someday, look to your right and you'll see the big Jenkins Shipping Company. You might you might get lucky and see Eddie stand there. You never know. Another reason I sort of was talking about this too was. In a kind of sort of way, Eddie Irvine got me drunk many years ago. Um, I, was invi- <laughs> I was invited. Did I send you the photo? You did, yeah. You, you had a lot of hair. <laughs> that was the beginning and the end. Yeah, uh, it was a charity night. We were helping, I think it was Click Sergeant or something like that, and they invited to one of Eddie Irvine's charity nights when he had just opened his carton centre in Bangor. And there was a free bar. And me and about 10 friends helped them empty the bar. So in a roundabout way, Eddie Irvine got me drunk one night in Bangor. That, that'd be hard to do, I would say. <laughs> yeah, so bit of waffle there, but here here goes. Uh, we're just going to do a brief rundown of his career and what happened to him. Here we go, going to dive in. Eddie was born on 10th of November 1965 as Edmund Irvine Jr. to his father, Edmund Irvine Sr. He was born in Conleg, County Down, so that's between Newtonards and Bangor, if anybody doesn't know County Down very well. His motorsport influence was from his father, Edward Sr., who... 
dabbled a bit in single seat racing. The father helped support him in his motorsport passion. Uh, he was interested in bikes and karting as well. So you would have seen Eddie Irvine racing at Kirkuston and Mandela and places like that there in various karting championships. The talent was there and it was nurtured by his father. He helped pay for his, his hobby at that stage by working in his dad's scrapyard. So I think back then he, he learned the value of money, hard work and a good work, work ethic. Yeah, they weren't coming from money. Yeah, yeah. Initially, he was interested in bikes, as I said, but his parents were just like, nah, nah you're all right. And they sort of steered him towards motorcars, motorsport, like his father, single-seaters, and sort of directed him to race in Formula 4 racing series. So 1983 then, so what would that made him? 18. He started racing professionally. And in 1984, he won his first race. And that year in the series, although he didn't win the championships he was in, he was won the award for the best driver. So the talent was starting to be realised. In 1987 then, he was signed to the Van Diemen team. And that season he had a great series of results. And he went on to win the SO uh, Formula Ford Series, the RAC Formula Ford Series, and the Formula Ford Festival. He truly was a rising star in the making. By the end of 1987, Irvine entered a competition run by Marlborough. They were sort of sponsoring a competition for a drive in the British Formula 3 season. He won the competition and found himself driving for West Surrey racing team in 1988. He was driving an Alfa Romeo and finished fifth overall. So wasn't too bad for his first season in British Formula 3. So we all know how important the Formula 4, the Formula 3, the Formula 3000 progression is. It's like ladders up to the, the higher tiers of motorsport. Yeah, it's your stepping stones. Yeah, he was making his way. He had a brief drive in the McCann Grand Prix. He started in pole, but unfortunately didn't finish. By 1989 then, he was in the Formula 3000 uh, with Pacific Racing. That season he finished ninth. And it was interesting to take note there, he finished ahead of the big bright new star of the future, JJ Leto. So he actually finished ahead of him. By 1990 then, he was moving in different circles then and he joined Jordan racing team in Formula 3000 he was driving a Reynard Mugen so a bit of the Honda link there with the Jordan racing team that season he had one victory in Germany and finished third in the season a turn of events then he was signed up to go racing in Japan of all places again probably something to do with the Jordan Honda partnership there so in total he spent three years there so he was racing then in the Formula Nippon series with Surumu Racing that season, he was racing in the Lola T92 car. He had one victory, and he finished seventh place in the entire season. So he was there th- three years in total in Japan. And as you can imagine, he got to know the Suzuki circuit very, very well. And knew the Japanese racing circuits very, very well. By the last year of the season, 1993, it was a very, very strong campaign and finished joint first with a race driver called Hashino. He tied on points, but the way the rules work, because Hashino had more actual wins in that season, Hashino took the title. So the talent was there to see, and no less than Mr. Eddie Jordan seen it. He had already seen it the years before, but he invited them to come work for Jordan Racing. Now, anybody that follows a bit of Formula 1 racing, like Jordan Racing, what do you think of? You think of black and yellow. We've talked sometimes about uh, race libraries, and I think the black and yellow Jordan... It's one of the famous ones, really. That's that's the only thing I would think of when I think of Jordan is black and yellow. And even you look into that connection, the... The Benson Hedges. Yeah, and the Civic Jordans as well, the EK Civics that 
the yellow, yep. yellow paint scheme and black and yellow and or yeah, black and yellow interiors. So Eddie Irvine invited to race in the final two Grand Prix of the year, and his debut in the Japanese Grand Prix was controversial, impotent, and impressive. He had the audacity to repass Ayrton Senna after being lapped while battling Damon Hill to finish in the in a fine sixth position. So, first Grand Prix, F1 Grand Prix he's ever been. <laughs> and he's mucking about with multiple champion Ayrton Senna. That's yeah, so say Senna would have enjoyed that. Yeah, Senna wasn't too impressed by his tactics and confronted him after the race. Tempers frayed and the Brazilian punched him. The whole episode, <laughs> the whole episode was captured in an English English journalist tape recorder. In those days, there wasn't such thing as Facebook. But you know, Eddie Irvine, being Eddie Irvine, laughed it off and mumbled something about, "Ah, oh, there's a few quid in for me here in the claim." You know, yeah, so, fair play. Uh, <laughs> But in the early stages of the F1 career, Irvine was known as a fierce competitor. Even when he had a weaker car, with which he only qualified for the rear of the grid, he had a tendency to try to win the race at the start, often cause himself and others to exit a race in an untimely and tidy fashion. He was also noted for his personality, perhaps best described as anti-authoritarian. Some of his nicknames, Irv the Swerve, later Fast Daddy. But, you know, it's well documented through various drivers, you know, wide berth for Eddie like when he's coming through because he will take you out and trying to get ahead of you doesn't play well with others yeah so uh, no the Suzuka race sort of set the theme of controversy for Irvine that would follow him in the next following years or whatever the second race in the last season or the last race of the season in Australia he retired due to an accident so you know accidents became part accidents and retirement became part of Irvine's career as such so he was in with Jordan then, two-year contract, 93 to 95. His teammate was no other than Rubens Barrichello. I don't know about you, but Rubens Barrichello, I, I loved him. He was so likable as a driver. I don't know if you've seen the latest video that went on YouTube there of his dog when he was trying to do a Zoom meeting, no? No, what was it? <laughs> he was doing an interview or something um, during lockdown there. And he has this lovely big golden retriever. And it just jumped up on him and sat on his shoulders while he was trying to do this interview. <laughs> Highly professional. Doggo need attention. But uh, that's that's besides the point. Just I found that was very funny. I, I used to love Ruben Barakel. He was a very emotional driver and um, seemed really nice. But anyway, let's get back to Eddie Irvine. Two races at the end of 93. The, the season for Irvine started in 1994. Then with uh, Jordan officially. So... Didn't get off the great start. First race in Brazil was a disaster. So Irv the Swerve caused a four-car pileup. He got a race car. He got a race ban by the officials. Eddie B and Eddie appealed it. So they gave him a ten grand fine and increased his ban for another three races. So uh, <laughs> that went well for him then, yeah. <laughs> didn't didn't go well. So when he was allowed back out to play, then he returned for the the Spanish Grand Prix. He finished sixth, but. The next six Grand Prix, then he, he had to retire. A combination of crashes and the Jordan car letting him down in various manners. He seems a bit like the Colin McRae of the F1 world. Yeah, all these crashes. Yeah, it's uh, he's like a James Hunt, Colin McRae, George Best, all rolled into one. You know, I don't have any of the stories of you know him out partying and all, but some of the things you hear and you don't know if they're true or not. But the guy liked to party as much as he liked to drive hard. Put it that way. Yeah, well, at least um, his career's factual. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Italian Grand Prix, another crash, this time with Johnny Herbert on the opening lap, and he got another ban for that one. Did he appeal that one? Or did no, he learn his lesson? He didn't. <laughs> I think he liked his money too much. Uh, por- Portuguese Grand Prix, more controversy. He clipped Damon Hill car in qualifying and was given a license 
uh, ban warning by the stewards, but no further action was taken. So in general, 1984 was pretty crap season, but it was his debut. You know, first time, first time at Formula One, but potential was seen there. I think Eddie Jordan sort of went. You know, if we can sort of control his driving style and get the car more reliable, we have something to work with here. In that season, he basically finished 16th overall and only managed to accrue six, uh, six points. So moving on then to 1995, this was a mixed, ba- mixed bags of re- retirements and crashes. He retired at the Brazilian Grand Prix first round. It was a mechanical failure. Argentina Grand Prix, a crash in Mika Hackton. Then engine failure, retired Monaco. He got an eighth at San Marino, fifth in the Spanish Grand Prix, third in the Canadian. Belgian Grand Prix had to retire after the car the car caught fire. Then a week before the European Grand Prix, Jordan announced a two-year contract extension. But shortly after that, Ferrari bought out the contract and said they were having him and he would be coming to Ferrari as their number two teammate. So here's this guy from Conleg in County Down. Can you imagine how buzzing he was, you know, oh, going to race so, yeah. in Ferraris? Because back then, I know Ferraris are the butt of the jokes at the minute, but back then, Ferrari and Williams, like they were the top-notch drivers. They were where he wanted to drive for. Like So the European Grand Prix, sixth in the race, but the rest of the season then, um, he got a fifth in Japan and retired in Oz. So that season was 12th in Drivers' Championship with 10 points. But I think his focus was in Ferrari for next se- the next next few while anyway. Right, so moving on to his time at Ferrari then. This was the new dawn for him. Prestigious brand, but money talked and shortly uh, after signing with Ferrari, he was meeting the head of Ferrari for the first time. Eddie complained to Enzo about the prices of spares for his GTO and asked could he get any discount. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's definitely Northern Ireland man there, isn't it? Can you get me hooked up with a trade account, you know? <laughs> I would say Enzo was highly amused with that. Yeah. So a uh, man well known for his humour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so ninety six season, good start, had a third in his first Grand Prix, seventh in Brazil, fifth in Argentina. It went downhill after that. European Grand Prix had an incident with Olivier Panis. Then he had eight consecutive retirements basically a mixture of mechanical or crashes at the end of that season then he was 10th in the championship but then moving on to 87 then there was kind of <laughs> kind of an improvement he uh, had a crash in the first race 16th in Brazil but then the third race in Argentina he finished up second but Italian press be Italian press and this being Ferrari they were calling for his blood and they wanted him to be sacked the next race then um, he finished third a couple of times, but did did also have a few crashes and non-finishes. Yeah, the pressure was really on him, but Ferrari backed him and came out with an official statement saying that he's with us till 1998 to sort of try and put those rumours to bed as such. Yeah, trying to fight the fire. That was mid-season, that, was, that statement was put out. Season ended well with uh, final results of a third and a fifth in the final two rounds, ending up with seventh in the Drivers' Championship. So for a number two driver, overall that wasn't too bad. 1988 then was a season of form with several good results and podium finishes six times. July, he was then announced, it was now announced then after these podium finishes that they had faith in him. They gave him a two-year contract extension to back their number two finisher to reward his results. But also in this contract was a freedom 
to dictate the strategy in races, you know, so he wasn't being given orders anymore. He had more say in what was happening and he had he had say in strategy and he had say in setup. He got a wee bit of his way anyway. In general then, he finished the season second in Japan, his favourite circuit, and a fourth in the championship. So he was on his way up. 1999 then, this was the big season for Irvine. He went into this season with big hopes. Finished first in the Australian Grand Prix, fifth in Brazil. Unfortunately, he had a retirement in San Marino. Then he had a second and third in the next few races. He then had a second at Silverstone. And in this race, Michael Schumacher broke his leg when his brakes failed. So that immediately made Irvine number one driver. And he had one of the best cars in the circuit. He was doing not so bad in the championship. He got a first in Austria and Germany. His position was strong, but he had a competition in the form of Hackenden. Then he had the uh, finish of fourth and seventh. And then in the Malaysian Grand Prix, Schumacher was back. But Schumacher was so far behind the points this time that Schumacher was the number two driver and was helping Irvine in his last few races. Yeah, this culminated in the last race in Japan. Like I remember at the time, this was it. Northern Ireland was going to have an F1 World Championship. The news that week on like UTV and BBC was there were, I think they had Stephen Watson out in Japan. I think I'm near sure they did. I just for the coverage of it. Yeah, it was just it was pandemonium. Like Eddie Irvine's going to be F1 Championship or F1 Champion. All he has to do, like he's going into Japan Suzuka, his favorite circuit. How could he not win? But this is foreboding. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, he had a terrible, tel- terrible race, and he lost out. He finished third, hacking and won, and he lost the championship by a mere two points. Absolutely gotten. But good side of this is it helped Ferrari to the first constructors title in 16 years. That ended his time at Ferrari. He was in talks with McLaren and Jaguar, and this is Eddie Irvine. Jaguar dangled the bigger cart. And to say it was not a great move was an understatement. He signed a three-year deal for $15 million. His teammate was uh, Johnny Herbert. Jagger learned much from Irvine's experience for Ferrari. Built him at the Jagger package was unreliable and competitive. Driving a car much slower than most others and dogged by the reliability problems, he still managed to get podium results at Monaco and Monza. There were initial concerns of Irvine's future at Jagger, but the team clarified that he would remain for the entire season. For 2002, Irvine declared his fitness levels were higher than his rival competitors when he performed a fitness examination that was higher than many other drivers. Friction in the Jaguar camp and his vocal frustration at the lack of positive development of the car resulted in his contract not being renewed. Irvine was offered a cut in his £6 million salary, but an agreement could not be reached. He was considered for a return to Jordan for the 2003 season, but owing to that team's financial problems, he was left without a drive. He was also linked with Minari, but... That year he announced his retirement for Formula 1. So that ended basically Irvine's F1 career. But by that stage, Eddie had culminated a massive property portfolio. The man, you know, money talks with Eddie and was always running business in the background. Uh, In May 2005, Irvine was rumoured to be heading a consortium to buy the Jordan Grand Prix team and stated his interest in running the team. He was later linked to the possible sale of an Ardy team and held talks with the team principal. He was a millionaire through property investment. Irvine is said to have built up a multi-pound property portfolio, owning around 40 properties throughout the world. According to the Sunday Times Rich List, published in April 2006, Irvine was the fifth richest person in Northern Ireland at that time, having increased his personal fortune to approximately £160 I was going to say that's impressive, considering (laughs) you have the... 
like the pharmaceutical people that you have in this country, but yeah. 160 million is impressive no matter who's in the country. He's also the owner of Eddie Irvine Sports. That's basically a snooker, pool, cart racing, paintball and football facility in Bangor. And that's not too far from his native hometown. He also, as I've said, owns uh, shipping companies. He he actually lives down in Dublin now, South Dublin, near Bono, I think, as far as I know. God love him. Yeah. Live him beside Bono. Yeah, he uh, has lots of lots of pots that he has his fingers in. But he has his controversy over the years with parties and all the rest of it. Whether it be true or not, it's not for me to say. But just to sum up Eddie Irvine, there's just a few words here that sort of wrote of what I thought of him. Eddie was a local Northern Ireland hero, self-made millionaire. He gave people hope in our small wee country. He competed at the highest level of motorsport whilst having fun doing it. He wasn't a corporate robot, but a man with opinions, competitive drive, and who liked to party. He thrilled the audience when he got behind the wheel, as no one knew what would happen, but it definitely would never be boring. There's a wee story in Eddie Irvine. I hope you all enjoyed it. I did, yeah. Yes, very much. Thank you. One thing I've taken from it there is that next time we go karting at the Eddie Irvine Centre, if they pull us up for crashing into people, they can't really say very much, can they? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I'll not be... You know, the, 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 the cool thing about Eddie Irvine's place over in Bangor, if you ever go into it, as you go into the reception on the left-hand side, there's all his trophies, well, most of his trophies, old boiler suits. I think there's one of the F cars in the... The reception as well. Yeah, there's loads of memorabilia from his Loads racing. of memorabilia there. Like, you could spend half an hour just walking around that reception area. Have you been in it, so, No. I think, did we go for Andy Maxwell's stag too? Is that where we went, Nigel? For uh, a room to race, wasn't it? No, that was Ballyclare. No, did we not go to room to race afterwards, you know, at the Irvine Centre with the like the electronic oh, setup? Oh, maybe we did. Maybe we did. Uh, yeah, I think that's when I was last in it. No, it was interesting to see around it. The I can't believe he actually hit up Enzo for... Spare parts for the Ferrari too, that's a good one. <laughs> Better wheeler dealer. Yeah, it's kind of, listening there too, I say I wasn't into Formula 1 back then, so it's interesting for me listening to that to see its progression and quite a sharp fall. You know, you build yourself up for so long over the years and then you make a move you think's right to Jaguar and suddenly it's all downhill and then you don't have yeah. a race kind of thing. No, you're talking about not following F1, but see, when I was younger, at lunchtime, it was... Italian football and the Grand Prix on the Sunday afternoon on the TV and I was just addicted to F1 because I remember you used to be able to watch Senna, Mansell, Irvine, all Prost, Berger. It was just fantastic. Like they were just absolutely massive back then. Yeah, that era does seem to be like the glory days. No, it was cool research and that. I knew a bit about it and that helped me relive it. <laughs> Excellent. Bit. So, uh, yeah, hope you all enjoyed it. Nigel, you actually put out for Asking what people have got for Christmas. I apologise for my grammar. Lee was very quick to <laughs> correct me. Yeah, you know it. <laughs> it's uh, slight grammar problems, but you, people knew where we went. Was I was basically few. asking, what did, what did Santa get you for your car? But I put, why did Santa get you for your car? <laughs> he did greet us with a nice picture of your ass in the light room and your outside from those. It was all right. You got to fight fire with fire, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll take it. We'll go from that end there. Clark, C-L-R-R-K, he says, Santa doesn't like bringing me car parts. I bought myself a Reds for the Passat, and Nicky got that wound open. It's an ECU, ECU for his bike project, I That's think. That's what it was, yes. Uh, he's got a cafe racer, and Nicky got him the ECU for it. Yeah, that'll be cool to see. James Doherty, 95, he says, uh, plan for 2021 is to get the S4 bagged and do the Canon run in July. That'll be cool oh. to do. Yeah. Hopefully something like that can go ahead this year. Finger, fingers crossed. Indeed. AJMVW, Andy Maxwell. 
he says he didn't get a turbo kit for the 200, as he had said to you in the interview last time, Lee. Yeah. Um, he plans to get the 200 on the road in spring, so I assume he needs MOT'd for then. Damn it, Santa. <laughs> he, he got it bossed. I was talking about the last time, wasn't it? Yes, you were saying his boss was going to set it up. Yeah, his boss set it up, so it's on the button now starting. So. Very nice. Yeah, that's the sort of thing that big thing deserves. Adam T. Hamill, he says his plan for 2021 is job hunting and taking more mediocre photos of awesome cars. I would say that's the other way around with Adam's photos. They're awesome photos. Yeah, class. Uh, Notorious Hamilton, he says River R4s in relation to what he got for Christmas. I think those are wheels from what I remember. Yeah, they're Ferrari type wheels, aren't they? I think so, yeah. Kerpot Cars says she got a lift after two to three years of asking. Plans are to fit her ride in the Audi 50 Where was she with new to go? Where was she wanting to go? Newcastle? <laughs> There's the dad jokes coming in. <laughs> Plans as well then. Stage 1 map for the S3 with interior upgrades. Soda Blast the Quattro and get the rally car MOT'd. It's a fine stable of Audis there. That's a quite a list. <laughs> it is, yeah. Have to think big. Yep. Low and slow, Tom. He says stretch kit for his Grom and an E95 daily yoke. Plans for 2021 lower the LS400 more, which I think will be impressive because I don't think it's much I'm more going to go down. Say that, yeah. Did you not say, Nigel, you were walking through Cumber one time and he passed you and it was just literally oh, bouncing off the road? It it's it's millimeters off the road, like yeah, that's Tom's style. It's cool. Good thing. luck, them. Good luck to my ferry. Wants to take that car to England because it'll not go on the ferry. <laughs> Here, that's a good excuse. Sorry. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Vogel underscore O'Reilly twenty six, who we talked about earlier, did my exhaust. He says. He's planning a semi-show build for 6N2 Polo. It's in for paint as we speak. Got Welton gloves for Christmas for doing Connor's exhaust. There we go. <laughs> RH Photography RIE. He says stud conversion, 10mm front spacers and exhaust hangers for an E36. Hope Santa was good. That is that's a good list. Bert, B13RRT. He says 2021 Mark V four-wheel drive conversion happening. He was watching that video you were watching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bert, check out that. You will you'll get your eyes opened. That's what his car needs. See the torque in that yep. thing? The TDI? That's ridiculous. Yeah, that'll be a proper animal. And maybe be a bit easier in gearboxes as well. <laughs> um, Ronan, Ronan underscore hits 21. Uh, Santa, the woman, uh, got me a nuke performance catch can. That was one of the things he was having issues with in the golf. Woman has good taste. Exactly. Good nuke. He says, 2021 plans, use the Golf as much as possible, sell the Air Ride uh, in 17s and get KWV3s and 16s. <sighs> I don't know how I feel about that. It'll make it a proper driver's car and use that engine well, but I think that car looks really well the way it sits. Yeah, I kind of agree. He's doing what you're interested Nigel. Yeah. With a crowd. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> um, Buster Conrad. Why did Santa bring you for cars? A grammar checker. <laughs> uh, very good. Uh, and he says, real answer, a 3,200 mile road trip, 2021, find a way to ECU tune an engine with no aftermarket at all. That'd be interesting. See if you can crack the older stuff. I've been following Buster. He's been driving for like two weeks now, hasn't he? Yeah. I think he went from, he's in Minnesota and he traveled down to find, was it like the source of the Mississippi River right at the very bottom? Yeah. My geography in the States, where I haven't been, is ridiculous, so I don't know. But essentially, it was just driving straight south, what it looked to be. But yeah, the scenery there is amazing. 
He was also yep. posting some pictures of the time they were in Iceland as well, and I actually thought it was Ireland. The scenery is very, very similar. Yeah, waterfalls and stuff. I remember reading one time that it's, I think it's a high percentage of Americans don't travel outside America, the, the holiday inside America. Yeah, but why and, would you? Yeah. You've got everything why there. Why would you go to the hassle? Yeah. Like you can you can go east, west, north, south, and you, you could be anywhere in the world. Yeah, the it's around Europe. You have so much of an area to cover. You have hot, cold, you know, you have mountains, you have rivers, you have pretty much any terrain you could imagine. Yeah. And then you could venture up into the the awfulness that is Canada, if you really wanted to. All right, Dennis? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we dig it, Dennis, there. We're, we're trying to build listeners, not get rid of them, Connor. That's all right. Dennis knows my abuse. Studio 10 detail, Robin, he says, short number plate, short front number plate recess for the 911 and a doubled in for the Mark V. That's a nice 911 he has, and I don't even like those. It's sitting in the shade at the moment for winter. Oh, tucked away. That's his yep. signature move, isn't it? The short number plate. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kegunner 22, he says, another Mark 1 Jetta for parts for the one currently being built. That's a cool car. I think it's 16 valve in that. 1990 underscore GTI underscore 8 valve underscore resto. Please don't message in. That's quite a mouthful. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, A sunroof seal and an ultrasonic cleaner. Those are cool. Lots needed before they are, mind you. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, sometimes you think you're doing right and you're like, I'll buy this little seal and the whole car is a bare shell. Um, (laughs) Maren Chris, he says, speakers for the 520D daily and plans are to fully polybush and fit a cat back to the E92 M3. As someone who recently just got an exhaust done on a car with more than four cylinders, I fully agree with you should do that. (laughs) Gethin underscore GTNI, you're not going to like this one, Nigel. He says, I don't know, why did Santa bring me for my cars? <laughs> he's the dep- he's the deputy grammar Nazi to you, Lee. I don't know who's worse, him or Lee. I think he's worse than me. <laughs> there's I let a lot of things go. There's fierce competition. Oh, it's awful nice, Lee. <laughs> David underscore Jack underscore Hill. He bought me some new shoes, and I would say those are big shoes. A lot of material in those. <laughs> um, James Smith three one nine four. He says a rebuild GT. Oh, a rebuilt GTD engine for a Mark II. He was good. Yeah, anybody's getting me a rebuild. I'll be happy enough for that. Good man, Santa. Santa. Santa's on the spanners. Um, Gobsheen, he says, a whole car back into the VAG stable, OEM plus in it and more power. He's got himself into a red Srocco TSI. So he's recently making Lee jealous. He's got the 19-inch Luganos on got the Luganos. Oh, I miss my Sirocco. We know. S fourteen OCP Simon, buy a house, move the caddy into it, and let it rot there. That's good. You may as well let it rot somewhere inside the house. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> if I didn't live, you have all the cars in here. But at least they wouldn't be rotting. No, true. Maybe it's a damp house. <laughs> buy better. Um, Ian K, not car stuff, but Santa brought me stuff to finish my garage. He's overhauling the garage. The minute's quite cool. 2021 plans. Finally get my BBSs onto the M5. He is an E39 M5 that he's putting, I want to say they're BBS RSGTs onto, three-piece. Um, and actually work on the Grand National, which will be cool. Yes. They I want to see more of that, please. He was on our lockdown logs, if you remember, Nigel, and yep. the fleet of cars they have is crazy. More plans. Get back on my bike so I can get thick like Nigel in that photo. <laughs> <laughs> Ian... Ian, if you've got it flaunted, that's all I'll say. I'll Photoshop the prairies for humble money. Oh, a, f- 
I fully expect it. <laughs> uh, I'd be disappointed if it wasn't. Exactly. And to finish up then, uh, Pancakes TH, Screw Santa, finish the R32, PPF and coding, and then actually drive it, which sounds fun. Good plan. Yeah, we need to get out and drive more in 2021. So that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for anybody messing in. Yes, absolutely. Keep them coming, folks. We enjoy feedback and questions and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, especially when you're not getting to see people at shows and meets and things at the moment. When you're getting a bit of feedback on what people's at, it's good to hear. I think if I take anything out of 2020 is how much we missed shows and the interaction at shows. And that's that's been a big thing with this podcast that we have pushed is that, well, yes, it's about the cars. It's about the people and the interaction with people, too. And that really has been sort of stripped away this year or, well, last year, yeah. sorry. So yeah, thanks everybody as always for listening. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us collectively at Reload Podcast. Uh, my Instagram's at Maxwell House Forty Six. I'm at Connor McCann, and I'm at V Boy. And please take the time if you can to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on, and leave us a review. We enjoy reading them, and apparently it helps us out with the algorithms. I've no idea, but you know, please do it anyway. <laughs> Yeah, apparently the new thing on Instagram now is not the like posts or comment, but it's this, you know, you save icon. I didn't even know there was a save icon and I'm never yeah, off Instagram. Apparently that's the big thing now to get your algorithm. Yeah, I've had it a couple of times by mistake and gone, oh, what was that? <laughs> Please, supporting people by mistake, I like it. If you want to support us by mistake, do what it takes. Yeah. Anyway, cheers folks once again and happy new year and we'll speak to you very soon. Yep. Cheers folks. Bye. Bye. Cheerio. Bye. 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 Mm-hmm.